Well, welcome to A Coach's Perspective. I am your host, Jenny Hopkins, and this show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. They're our presenting sponsor, and we're so grateful for Joe Turner, Kelly Polonis, all the team members at Great Southern Bank. They are excellent teammates in our adventure. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience. With nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs and mobile and online banking services, you're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. Other sponsors that we're grateful for and hand-picked include Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. So on our last show, we discussed a lot of topics with Dr. Jerry Masterson. Coach Masterson has um, been a track and field coach for a very long time. He explained a new graduate route for potentially athletes when their eligibility is up. They might not have um, a GPA that gets them into graduate school, but they want to continue in school. There is a new way for them to take an, a path for them to still be able to get a graduate degree. He also talked about the expansion of graduate assistantships going out into the community. Uh, but then we picked his brain on track and field, on long distance running. This was a three-time All-American. He's in three halls of fame. And we talked a lot about long distance running. So Dr. Jerry Masterson, if you miss that, you can go to a coachesperspective.com and listen to it or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal, or Helium Satellite radio. So we have this week, we have two coaches that I have always admired, and I think they do things the right way. Coach Bill Gunn and Coach Shane Matson. And I wanted to talk with them. They recently retired from coaching. Coach Gunn coached for 27 years. He's been a part of the Missouri Basketball Coaches Association for 26 of those years. Um, he has even done some broadcasting since he's retired. He coached at Jefferson City. He was also a coach at Cuba, Hillsboro, Cedar Hill, and he finished out his career at Kirkwood in St. Louis. And Coach Gunn has always had a great intensity. He ran his programs like a small college, and he was always um, not just giving back to his program and working with them, but he gives back to the game of basketball. Um, same thing I could say about Coach Shane Matson. He coached for 23 years. 12 of those years he worked with the Missouri Basketball Coaches Association. Um, he had a YouTube channel, Mustang Mania. Um, he was a coach at MU when he was in school, Central Methodist, Ellsbury, and then he finished out his career at Marquette before moving to being an athletic director at Marquette. Currently, Coach Gunn is the senior operations manager for Wally's. This is like a whole city inside a convenience store. It's an incredible place. And Coach Matson is working for Graves Golf, working as coach and membership liaison. The value of these two gentlemen and the impact that they've made has been incredible. Just talk to any of their players, and it has been such an impressive career. So we had a chance to catch up with them. Uh, we played a little out of the hat. Uh, we told some stories, and I dare you. I dare you to keep up with these two gentlemen. Take a listen. <laughs> All right, well, welcome to my guest, you know, Coach Bill Gunn, Coach Shane Matson. I am so excited to have you on the show with me tonight, and I hope that you all are ready to behave yourselves and <laughs> give us some good information here. This segment's called Coaches of the Round Table, and it's, it's basically a segment where I like to have veteran coaches on or retired coaches on to talk a little bit about their experience, the impact they had when they were coaching, and maybe even give out some advice to those youngins 
that are trying to get into this profession. Uh, so first thing I want to ask is, is you know, what, what was it that you felt like was valuable um, throughout your coaching experience? Um, Coach Gunn, I'll start with you. I think the relationship piece is what was more, most valuable. And for me, the relationship, building relationships in the classroom helps you with students, certainly building relationships with players, with your parents, things like that. And I think that's a valuable skill that, that carries on throughout, throughout life. And I know, you know, I'm not coaching now, but in, in my work life now, that same skill is so important. But most importantly, now I have those relationships with those players that I coached who are some of them are in their 40s and we still play <laughs> golf together and hang out. And I don't know that I appreciated that enough when I was a young coach, but now I certainly do. And I think it is interesting that, you know, the first thing you say is relationships. It's not the trophies and the accolades. It's the relationships um, and being able to, to keep up with alumni. That is one of the greatest things of being a retired coach. Definitely. Coach Madsen, can you even top that answer? <laughs> well, that's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I, I think I would back it up a little bit to and I think this is something that you talk about giving advice to young coaches. I, I think it's the old the hot stove thing. We can tell them all we want, but you got to touch the stove to know it's hot. And I go back to my early years. It was so important to have my practice schedules ready for the first two weeks. It was important to have my playbooks put together. I wanted my statistics all ready to go. You know, all these things of minutia that needed to get done but in the great scheme of things, really wasn't that important <laughs> now. And, and you know, I, I got a I got a young man that uh, is was so meaningful to my career, and we could do three hours on Deontay Cox. But Deontay turned me around as a coach because he had the guts to come to me and talk to me about what was most important to him as a player from me. And you know, he's in his he's in his forties now, and. He, he gets in touch with me on Christmas Day and Father's Day. and I mean, you can't beat that. That is wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like Bill said. That stuff right there is why we did it. Yes, but you created a culture where he felt like you were approachable as a coach. Um, and that's got to feel <laughs> well, rewarding. Well, the day he walked into the storage closet to have that conversation was a tough day for a 16-year-old to have. But yes. bless his heart for doing that. And uh, that was very meaningful for me and it made a difference in my life as a coach. So I'll always be thankful for that. Well, and it's also, you know, meaningful that you were receptive. You know, there are a lot of coaches um, in this day and age, and I, I'm gonna say, you know, especially older coaches that have been in it a lot, and those coaches, you know, it's my way or the highway mentality. And I am, you know, and you have to be the decision maker. The head coach is the decision maker, and that, you, you know, but to be able to create a culture to where, um, a 16-year-old kid feels comfortable coming to you, um, you were doing some things right, for sure. Well, I'd like to think so, but I mean, it just shows you how far we've come, and I, Bill will agree with this, you know, and Jenny, you probably too. We grew up in an era where coaches said what to do, and, you know, there wasn't any less caring and less uh, empathy towards each other. It was just that was the way the environment was back mm -hmm. in those days, and you just accepted it. And, but I think Bill is like me. We've talked a lot about this. We got a kick out of coaching our kids and explaining why we were coaching you the way we were. And I think that was kind of the genesis for all of this. I think we're in a better place these days with the relationship thing. But I think that idea that we're going to explain to you why we do what we do is meaningful to people. Yeah. 
I think that, that makes such a big difference. It really does. Um, and there are, you know, coaches now, it seems like even at the middle school level or that are just getting into it, that are checking a box. I mean, they needed a coach and they're filling that stipend. And I think, you know, being able to have some veteran coaches that can give some mentoring to these younger coaches is, is just critical. Um, I think there's a lot of coaches that jump in um, to big positions because the school district needs to fill it and they're not totally ready yet. So what can we do to help with that? As looking back, knowing what you know now with these successful careers you've had, how can we help these young coaches when they're starting out? Well, I think, Jenny, you know from my background with the Coaches Association, and I know you share this same passion, we think the mentoring is, is so important. And, and I do know, you know, I taught in the classroom for 30 years and when I first started, they literally took me to a room and said, here are your books, here's your classroom. I taught four preps that year. Let us know if you need something. Oh I mean, that was literally <laughs> it. And, and my daughter now is a teacher, and, and I certainly know that all the things we do to prepare teachers and, and mentoring, et cetera, is so much better. Now, having said that, I don't know that on the coaching side that it, that it has gotten better. I think... In some places where the athletic directors have a passion for it, I think they do a good job. But I, I really believe that mostly it falls on the, on the, on the coaches. Mm -hmm. And if you're someone where you're starting with, with a veteran head coach and, and they have a passion for that or they take an interest, then you're in a positive position. But if you start at a smaller, smaller school where you have an opportunity early or you have someone who maybe they weren't mentored so they're not mentoring you, I just don't think that it's a lot better than it was. So even though in, in the classroom it's come along, in coaching I don't know that it has. And I know the Coaches Association is trying to take that up, but I certainly think it's an area that is still in need. Yes. And uh, I think I answered your question. You did, you did, because I think there is a, a place that we're still falling a little short, which is why the NBCA is, is trying to up their game a little bit in the mentoring area. But I also feel like, um, you know, younger coaches need to be receptive. You know, when you're younger, I, I remember I was about, I mean, I was naive and ignorant. And I thought I already knew everything. I just got finished playing college basketball and I know the game in and out. And I mean, I had some hard lessons in my first few years, but if I would have had a mentor and been receptive and, and would go to more clinics and, you know, later in my career, when I started absorbing all that, it made me such a better coach. Set your ego aside, youngins, and <laughs> get some help. Yeah, I hate to say this, but one of the best things that can happen to a young coach is to get whipped around pretty good early sure. in your career. Because sure. if, if you go your first five or six years and you win a ton of games, you start thinking you got all the answers. And, right. and, and luckily for me, I say that now, not then. I had two good years to start. And then, you know, I'm in a public school. The talent level fluctuates from year to year. And year three, I found out I wasn't all what I thought I was. So um, I, I'll give you a real quick aside, though. My, my son, you know, just like Bill's uh, daughter is teaching now, and they wanted him to coach this first year. Well, he had seen all the time and heartache and wonderful things that went into coaching from watching me uh, and he said dad I'm not ready to do that yet because I want to be good in the classroom so but how many kids that go into coaching really have seen what that's wow. like and then you get into coaching and it just either overwhelms you and you just get out of it or you know it becomes a lifelong passion but uh, yeah I, I, I applaud the MBCA for what they're doing to try to get a mentoring thing going 
I think it was much easier in the field I went into my last nine years as activities director at Marquette, only in that the other activities directors that I dealt with, we were not trying to defeat each other. Right. And so right. we worked very hard together because we knew if we lifted each other up, that helped all of us. And, you know, Bill and I, I mean, our friendship grew from our coaching against each other. <laughs> and I would like to think that a lot of coaches have those relationships, but it's hard when you're trying to win. And yeah. I, I want a higher score than he did. And sometimes that gets in the way of that stuff. But there was an underlying competitiveness. Let's just no bring question. that out, right? So it what, wasn't what underlying. Was it was record? right out there. It was right <laughs> out there. I do think, though, that obviously there's so many more resources available now, you know, YouTube, whatever. But I think that so many times people connect winning to I have to go get the best plays or the best drills and I think sometimes even though there are the Joe Erdmans of the world um Brett Ledbetter even has some phenomenal stuff but I think sometimes I think it's a young man's game to go try to find things that you think are going to help you on the court and you don't necessarily see the connection that it's the relationship component that might help you with those things and I feel like you have to be almost older to understand that and I, and I know for me, I, I didn't get it. I thought I got it, but you know, before I was, you know, married and before I was a parent and you know had years in the classroom, I, I didn't understand that. It was just the competitive part. But we may be going down a good road right now because the more coaches we have that coach their kids this way, mm -hmm. the players who are going to eventually become coaches. It's like my dad and I have had this conversation. You know, I. I need to be a better dad than he was. My sons need to be a better dad than I was. So our players who are going to become coaches, hopefully they, they carry this trait with them. And it, as we keep going, the, the whole atmosphere just gets better. I think so, too. I think so. It makes such a big difference. All right, well, we're going to take our first break. Um, I, what do you, you know, listener, what do you think? You think I've got a good panel here, coaches of the round table? Well, we're going to continue to play, and then later on we're going to play out of the hat, and we're going to see how tough they really are. So we're going to continue our conversation with Shane Matson and Bill Gunn. Thanks again to Great Southern Bank for being our presenting sponsor. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. This is Jenny Hopkins, and this segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. They're owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact from scientific studies and professional dietitians that the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk and Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate and they're a proud sponsor of a coach's perspective and we appreciate them sponsoring this segment along with Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio. Well let's join our conversation again with coach Bill Gunn and Shane Matson. All right, welcome back. I have Coach Shane Matson here and Coach Bill Gunn. And, you know, once a coach, always a coach. You know, you're always going to be coached to people that know you. I mean, that's just um, the way it is. Uh, even when you retire from coaching, you're still known for that because coaches have a big impact. And, um, you know, I, I'm going to, I mean, it's probably a pretty obvious statement that a lot of um, high school coaches don't do it for the money, right? Is that safe to say? So you'd already talked, both of you, about the importance of the relationship building. Um, you know, the competitiveness and, and being involved in a program that um, is at the high level. 
Tell me what it is that you feel like is your philosophy. I'll start with Coach Matson on this. What's your philosophy? You know, like if I said you got 30 seconds to tell us about what your overall coaching philosophy is, what would it be? You gave me a little heads up on this, so my mind is just rolling here. No. So I, I hope 30 <laughs> seconds I can go a little past that. Um, just two quick little things here. So I guess from just a very concrete perspective, a funny story. So my senior year at Mizzou, we were out of Colorado, and uh, I was a manager for the men's basketball team. We were number one in the country, and it was the only trip in the Big Eight that we would go out the night before and spend the night because Coach Stewart liked to fly in, get the win, and fly out. That night, Mike Roth, who's now the AD at Whitfield here in St. Louis, we were sitting down in the hotel lobby, and Coach was a pretty busy guy, and he saw us, and he invited us to go have a scoop of ice cream with him. Well, we didn't get those moments very often with him. I, I'll remember this till the day I die. He, we were talking, and, and he knew we wanted to be coaches, and he said, you're going to find out real quick if you're an offensive or defensive coach. He said, you're going to find out what bothers you most, a turnover or not getting back to prevent a layup. And you know what? He was absolutely right. Yeah. I was a defensive coach. If all five of our guys didn't cross the half line, even on a breakaway layup, that bothered the heck out of me. I would remove guys from games. So there's that part. As far as the, the, the other part, I remember every year I was activities director at Marquette, I would give a speech to the incoming freshman parents. And this was after the department heads had talked, and I'm sorry I'm going long, but it, okay. I have a point. Um, I would get up after all the academic people had spoken, and I would say, folks, first of all, I'm going to apologize to everybody that's spoken to me before. Everything they do is, is way more important than any scores that we post, but I'm going to tell you this. There's not a one of you sitting here in this audience that remembers solving an equation in algebra. You remember the bus rides to games. You remember the time in the locker room. You remember all those things. So what we do in athletics is we create memories. And I think that's the most valuable thing we can yeah. do. So those two things, kind of my on and off the court philosophy is the best I can sum them up. I love that. Oh my goodness. Coach Gunn, good luck to you topping that. That's pretty good. <laughs> Your philosophy. and. Well, I don't have Norm Stewart in my story, so... <laughs> and a scoop of ice cream yeah. really mean anything, quote-unquote. Nah. <laughs> but okay, we'll go, we'll go with it. <laughs> but uh, I, I think for mine it was play hard, play smart, play together, have fun. And it, it was interesting because I, I think sometimes if you didn't know me, you would think we never had fun because of the intensity of the moment. But what I really wanted was... You know, we, I felt like we as a staff, we set the expectations. We wanted to raise the bar. We wanted to set the expectations. And then once our guys knew what those expectations were, then, you know, then everything else took care of itself. And those expectations encompass what he's talking about. You know, we don't give up baseline. We just don't do that. Or we don't not box out or those things. But it also, all those guys knew before they ever took a shot, if they can take that shot or not, because we'd covered that in our expectations. So, you know, I just think all those things, and if we're playing hard, it'll take care of all those things. If we're playing smart, then they're doing all those things with those expectations that we set. And if we play together, then we play for one another, and then I think that's important. And then, you know, the thing that I, my struggle was winning was fun. You know, I, I wasn't gonna have a whole lot of fun if we weren't winning. So I, I'll be honest, I'll own up to that. But, um, 
you know, but I, I think that was the kind of the core of the philosophy. Play hard, play smart, play together and have Which fun. Which is funny because Bill, Bill was an antler while I was a manager. So we had this Mizzou connection. So on Mizzou's shorts that they wore every day of practice, it said conditioning, play hard, play together. So we grabbed that and ran with it because at our place it was play hard, play together, play like a Mustang. So, I mean, that you think back to the late 80s, now almost 40 years ago, and we that right. was a big connection for he and I. And if and, and if I would have known how to get hooked up and do what you're doing, that's what I where I really would have been, because everything I ever did, I mean, and I do have kind of a quick wit, so being an antler wasn't much of a stretch. But <laughs> Shane and I were just in the basement, and I was showing him some of my memorabilia, and, and one of my proudest things I have a picture of Norm Stewart and I at his coach's show. I listened to that show every week, different than every other antler. They were there for the free beer and the free food. I was there for that too, but I would stay after every week and ask him questions. And I'm sure I annoyed the heck out of him, <laughs> but I was trying to learn something every week from him, knowing that I wanted to coach someday. Okay, so. just in case listeners don't know what an antler is, you want to explain that real quick? Well, back in the day, they're different now. Back in the day, the antlers sat on the front row, 8.30 at, at the Hearn Center, and we sat on the front row before there was an internet. And we would research everybody that came to town, and uh, we did a little bit to distract them a little bit, starting often a week or two before the game. And um, we met with Coach Stewart every year. He would meet with us and talk about, you know, being classy, and he had some great stories. But he, he knew we were, we were a, a part of that home court advantage that they had, and we took pride in that. And um, so we... So you were like the ultimate pep club like there was a uh, it well, was like a secret a service <laughs> it was like the secret service of we um, w w i can yeah. honestly tell you that we had i believe we had effects on games they absolutely yeah. knew about us yeah. their coaches talked about us before they got there there were times where i would see players like i remember this guy donnie boyce he was a rookie for colorado i distinctly remember him checking out of a game <laughs> sitting down and looking straight looking straight at us, but I made eye contact with him. And I remember saying, I own you. Now, at that point, that might've been a stretch on my part, but, but if he's looking at us in the middle of a basketball game, then, then we're, we're in his head right. a little bit. My, my favorite, the only connection I had with the Antlers, one night we're having an exhibition game with Marathon Oil, who are these old guys who don't play college or pro. <laughs> Marathon Oil is paying them to tour and spread the good word about their company. And the antlers are going off on them before the game. And Coach Stewart pulls me over and he goes, and I'll leave choice words out of it, but he said, go over there and tell those guys we paid them to come here tonight and to knock it off. So it was awesome. They even gave it to Marathon Oil. So I love it. I lo well, thank you for sharing that, yeah. that classified information. Yes. And I, my next question is super simple. I mean, did you ever look at Shane Matson and say, I own you? <laughs> We, no, but, but I will tell you. I mean, you, you said you were competitive. He, he beat up no on trash me for talking. a while. When I was a head coach, he beat up on me for a while. And when I finally got, my team finally got our right. first win. He was so upset about that loss that he, he shook my hand, but he couldn't even enjoy it for me. And I finally, I said to him, I don't know if you remember, I said, I, do. I said, don't I get to just beat you just once? Like, can't I just enjoy one win? That phrase was uttered in an email at about 2.39 a.m. on a Tuesday night. Because we usually would go back and forth after we got home. Yes. Even electronic yes. trash talking. And, and we, you know, we helped each other out. But, but 
I know where he gets this because I was at his retirement party last year and his mother pulled me aside and his mom drove from Eldon to like every game he ever played. And she said, it really took me a while to like you. And I thought, (laughs) well, I don't know how I like this. And I said, okay. And she said, because you would beat my son. And she said, you and Shane, you and, and uh, Jay Blossom, you just really sometimes gave his teams fits. And it took me a while. And even Shane kept saying, I don't know why you can't like these guys. They're good guys. But she said, I couldn't get over that component that you wanted to beat my son so bad. Yeah. And I'm like, well, now I know where he gets it. Now, so. now you got to remember, my mom played at Cairo up north of Moberly, and she averaged 30 points a game That's her senior serious. year. She scored 50 her last game. So, I mean, she <laughs> was a serious competitor. Yes. But she, the only thing she ever saw of Bill was him being 40 feet down the sideline trying to devise ways to beat yeah. her son's team. So she had no idea of these. I mean, the friendship. And, and I'll say this, it's a little off topic, but one of the hardest things about leaving coaching, and I told my wife this when I made the decision to become AD, I said, she said, you, you're not 100% happy, are you? I said, no. I said, There's, I said, I feel like I'm losing my friends. And that was hard yeah. because that was my group. Right. But, you know, not that I don't think less of my coaching friends, but thank goodness the AD fraternity is very similar. And we weren't trying to beat each other. Right. Well. So, but anyway. And you're not uh, watching film till one or two in the morning. Oh, yes, that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> Ordering shoes and absolutely, buses. Yes. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take our next break and we'll be right back here with Shane Matson and Bill Gunn. I want to thank Highland Dairy for sponsoring this segment along with Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. This segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar. They know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know service, and they know how to keep their customers happy and loyal. I've been one of them for over 25 years. Give Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey a call. They will take care of you and take the stress out of buying a new vehicle. They love being able to do a coast-to-coast search and find exactly what you need in your price range. Call them at 417 326 7671. We also want to thank West Logging for sponsoring this segment. Contact Danny West for a free consultation. Go to westlogging.com. He's going to treat your land like his own. And thank you also to Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance for sponsoring this segment, along with Springfield Yard Cart. Well, welcome back, Coach Matson, Coach Gunn. So happy to have you guys here. And they haven't ran out of the studio yet, so I'm happy that you guys have stuck around. Actually, this is not a studio. Full disclosure, we are at Coach Bill Gunn's house in St. Louis. Thank you so much for hosting uh, this episode of A Coach's Perspective. Well, Max and I are <laughs> glad you're here. <laughs> there we go, our studio audience. All right, we're going to play a game called Out of the Hat. All right, are you tough enough to do that? It is a game where I'm going to just draw random topics out, and we're going to talk about them. And you give me your first, your instincts on on some of them. Some of them are just random, uh, out of this, out of the realm of coaching questions, and some of them have to do with coaching. All right, so here we. Oh, a good one right off the. Do bat. we know who it's for? Um, it's for both of you. You okay. both will answer it. All right. Okay, so how important is it to encourage high school athletes to be multi-sport athletes? Dun, dun, dun. It's your house. You get to go Ooh. first. <laughs> I think, personally, I think high school coaches get a bad rap on this when, in reality, it's club coaches who make it difficult. Um, in St. Louis County, it's a real problem. 
Um, I know this because I raised three kids who are all multi-sport athletes and the club sports who are for profit want to get into them and take all their you know time, which then takes your money. Uh, personally, I think that um, there's a lot to be gained from those experiences and I felt like the high school guys, we were always supportive of each other, of our kids and and that's it. We were supportive of one another. So I do think it's important. Yeah, I agree. Our, our staff at Marquette was awesome. We never had a situation where we had somebody on the staff tell a kid to stay away from another sport. We just didn't do that. We didn't operate that way. And I, I will say this in defense, I, I, you know, the most out front public athlete I had while I was at, at Marquette was Ryan Rossberg because he was a Mizzou recruit. And his AAU coach and me would sit down every spring and talk about his summer schedule. So it's possible to have those relationships, but, and I'll give him all the credit. He called me, he said, Shane, I'm going to work with you on this because that kid is special and he deserves the best possible experience. So I think if we're all on the same page, it can be done. Yes. I used to do the same thing. I'm like, yes, you can, you can definitely play club, Yeah. but if you're going to do that, I want to meet with your club. Yeah. coach and we're going to sit down and and it was always well received always well received and it's and at the end of the day it's it's about the kid and the opportunities and making sure that um that they're that they're getting those opportunities and i would quickly add i think if if you think i'm beating up on club guys it wasn't basketball it was the guys from other sports when they play that other club and you know for example my son was a soccer basketball guy and the soccer people wanted him 24 7 and didn't want to help so yeah. it was the cross sports and club yeah. Uh, what was it like? What was it like coaching your kids and working with your kids? You had more of an experience than I did, so I'll let you start with that. One. I, th I think that uh, I always said, and I, and I even finishing, I feel this. I feel like your kids either have to be really good, or they have to be not really bad, but everybody kind of know that there's no there in between is difficult. And when you're and and so for my oldest. When he was a sophomore, there were plenty of people in the community who felt like he should be playing varsity point guard. I was the one who held him back because I didn't think he worked hard enough away from it. Weight room, etc. What did and his mother think about that? That's a whole other story. <laughs> okay. That's a funny beep, story, beep. actually. Parents. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, it, <laughs> but um, I, I definitely think that, that I, I just say that because that, because you know, like ultimately you, I always say, you know, as a parent, as another parent, you want what's best for one. I want what's best for 12. Right. And I know for me, I, I always held my kids to a higher standard. And as a basketball player, I was like, now this is a public thing. I'm going to hold you to an even higher standard because of that. And I just think it's easier. I think, and I really always felt like if your kid was kind of, you know, maybe he should start, maybe he shouldn't, maybe he should play, maybe he shouldn't, that would be really tough. But if your kid is absolutely the best, whatever it is, it's tough for other people to kind of challenge that. And I would just give a quick aside. You know, I'm sure Bill was the same as me. I mean, when my two boys were born and I was coaching, man, your dreams have come true. And I'm sure it would have been the same if, I was, if I'd had a daughter and I was coaching girls sports. But the chance I was going to get to coach my kids. Mm -hmm. And I did get to coach my oldest when he was a sophomore that played half and half with me on the varsity. And I'll never regret that. I had to make the decision to leave coaching as they were both getting ready. I mean, we were on the precipice of me getting to coach them. But I'll, I'll say this one thing, and this is the main thing I wanted to include here. I'm okay with it now because I think he was able, both of them were able to go down in that locker room 
and have those conversations about the coach and about it because and that's healthy there should be a place for players to go and say what they want to say about the coach and I think that would have been very uncomfortable if I would have still been the coach so that's my outlet that says it's okay. It's okay. And, yeah. and I was very fortunate. My boys both had wonderful coaches. Well, and to be honest, you you were a, a dad that was a coach. I mean, so, I mean, you still had a little bit of a hand. I mean, they had the opportunity to to gain some support and advice along the way. Sure. Yeah, I think that's that is. All right, so um, next question, out of the hat. Oh, I like this question a lot. Okay, describe the attributes of the ultimate player. So describe your perfect player um, and this is you know you don't have to give me names but just you know you have the is it someone that plays hard plays smart plays together you know has fun describe that ultimate player it's funny because then like someone jumps into my mind immediately and uh, <laughs> I'll just throw it out Casey Corn would be would be yeah. one for me oh, and, and who ends up, I, always, I always said if we could have <laughs> transactions yeah I would like to make a trade for Casey Corn. Right. Right. He, right. he was awesome and yeah. I just say that because he just, even if he wasn't the most talented guy, he just played hard. He never took a play off. And also, you know, so that made us better every practice. But also, he was the kind of guy that he could say things to other guys and they didn't take it the wrong way. And it wasn't just because he always set the example, but he also he was just, he was that personable I'm, I, I'm avoiding saying the word relationship but he 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 could do all those things and I and it doesn't have to be just him but to me it's a guy who just plays hard doesn't take plays off he always sets the example he gives you every single thing he has every single okay, night Okay, so what, what I'm hearing you say is that uh, you like the effort you like the hustle you like the controllables you're not saying you want the highest percentage shot you don't you're not saying you want the leading rebounder you're saying you want that person that's gonna get out there and put their guts out on the floor I love that. I love that because those are the intangibles that will get you the rebounds, that will get you some of those accolades. But that's the foundation. Yeah, I think it's like the whole process. You know, if we yeah. if we do the process, the results will take care of themselves, right, kind right. of thing. And I yeah. feel like if you're that guy, and I and I have had that guy before, where I've had to say, I mean, he wasn't the most talented player, and I've had a guy on my team who's super talented and has size, and he's playing. And he doesn't play nearly as hard. And I've had these locker room conversations where I'm like, hey, I'm really sorry. Like, And he's probably my captain, but he doesn't necessarily get to play as much because at the end of the day, he's a 5'9 post player, you know, and the 6'6 kid who's 230 is getting the clock but maybe doesn't work as hard. Right. But, you, but you love it when it comes together with the guy who yeah. does all those things and he is your best player. Yeah, that is so true. That is the ultimate player that I asked you to build. Yeah, and same here. I mean, he just stole every bit of thunder I could ever uh, ask for. Casey was great, and I say that from watching him from afar, but I could I could tell with the things that Bill would always say about Casey. Um, I, I Gosh, Bill and I could do three hours on the players that meant mm-hmm. a lot to us. I guess the one I might throw out there just off the top of my head is no longer with us, Chris Lindzen, who passed away. Uh, would have been about 10 years ago. Chris, I brought up as a freshman. I mean, that's how good a player he was going to be. And I had a good team, and he uh, he had to be moved down to JV, came back his sophomore year, got to play, had injuries, but just kept – I mean, we had a picture where we won our first district title in 15 years. Chris was injured and didn't get to play his junior year, and he would have played a ton. That picture holds a very special place in my heart. 
not because we won the district, but for so many reasons, the alumni that were in the picture, but Chris is in a sweatsuit. He is in the middle of the picture. He knows the significance of what just happened. Nobody in that picture was happier than Chris was. And his senior year, he got to play a ton. And I'll never forget this on video. We, we go to play CBC in the state quarterfinals, farthest we've ever gotten in the history of the school. And we work the ball around the first possession. We're major underdogs. There's four guys on the other team that are either going to play in the NBA, Division One, or the NFL. And Chris, we, we probably have a 12-pass possession, which you'd never see these days. But Chris hits a three. And as he's going down the floor, our camera catches He's got his tongue stuck out. Like, this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. And I mean... And he set the tone that night that we were just going to play loose and have some fun. And it was good for his coach, too. But anyway, I miss Chris <laughs> for a lot of reasons. But I, I think about him for what he did for our team. And we had a lot of guys like Chris. And I'm proud to say I got to coach him. Well, and, and even a in a short lifetime, he made a, a lasting impact. He lived a great life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Next question out of the hat. This is good too. I'm getting all the good ones. Here we go. What is your policy on talking to parents about playing time? Dun dun dun. Both you of want you to think about it. First, both of you, you step away from think. the mic. I know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I would go to coaching clinics and listen to college guys and say, "Well, the armor rule is if you talk to me, your player sets the next next game." That that wasn't oh, yeah. the case. I, I think I. I I'm an expectation guy, so I feel like you have to set the expectation, and then and you go from there. And so, to, for me, the expectation was set at the at the parents' meeting. And one of the things that we did at the parent meeting was that we would we would just the the expectation was that that um, the players needed to talk to us first. And if the players came and talked to us first, and th that wasn't taken care of, what needed to be taken care of, then we would talk to the parents. But our rule was we weren't going to talk on game night. Um, we weren't going to talk after practice. So they need to contact us and set it up. And then once they talked about us, talked to us, we were going to talk about on a positive, what can we do to help your son be better? And we weren't going to talk about, we're not going to talk about other players. We're not going to talk about playing time. We're going to talk about how to make your son better. And that's it. And so you know, one, I'm not going to be talking to another parent about your son. That's just never going to happen. But also... Um, again, you, you need to go through that process. And the first step in the process is the, the player needs to come to us. Right. I mean, that this is training ground, right? I yeah. mean, they're, yeah. they're not going to be going to their college professors or their employers. Right. We'd hope not. Uh -huh. I, I got to do this. I agree with everything Bill said. And our, our system was very similar. And Jenny, I imagine yours was. I see yes. you nodding over there. But I will say this, that once you've gone through those funnels, the parent has every right to come talk to us. That mm -hmm. is their child. Right. And as long as we handle it in a positive manner to try to help your son or daughter advance farther, then that's what it's all about. I, I always said one thing. I got a lot of experience with this as an AD because, it, as you can imagine, it would go from player talk to talk to the coach, parent talk to the coach, and then come to me. And sometimes steps got skipped, but that's another story. But I always opened up my conversations with parents with this statement. I said, before we get started, I want you to understand one thing. We're here for your child, and I know that you love your child more than I ever could. I get that. So I want you to know that before we start having this conversation. 
And I think that was important that we recognize the fact that there was a connection that they had with that kid that as much as I cared about him, I could never have. Right. So I think that was, that was always, I, I don't, disarming them is not a good way to put that. I think it got us more on the same page that we were both there for the yeah. kid. Well, that, I mean, they're on your team for four years, but they're on their team for life. Absolutely. And so they're, they're, the, they're, they're child's advocate. And 99.9% and .9 of the time, uh, their intentions are good. Sometimes their delivery was, was terrible, but you know, it, their intentions are good. So it's hard to blame. I always go back if, yeah. if you, we're really aging, aging ourselves here, but there was an episode <laughs> of Cheers. Oh, yes. Where Norm got hired for the HR department and he had to fire people. Norm would go to fire someone and start bawling. And at the end of it, the person that got fired was consoling Norm. So, you know, I go back to that oftentimes that I would tell people, I say, look, there's good ways to have negative conversations, not fake tears or anything, but we can get there. We don't have to be you against me. Yeah. But thank you for having that attitude. I mean, I'll speak for, for sport parents and say thank you for that because um, a lot of times, especially younger coaches, again, um, you know, you, you will go in and you will talk to them and they're very defensive, um, you know, because I've been the administrator on that end as well. And I've watched, you know, coaches be defensive and, you know, you're attacking me. And sometimes if you can do exactly what you just said, like, what are we here for? Why are we here? And what's the foundation? You can get a lot. Well, further. Bill said it in the first segment. One of the greatest things that can happen to a coach is to have a child. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I agree. I think also, I think another thing that's important is, you know, when Shane's the AD, he may know where all of his coaches fall on this. But I think you as a coach, you need to talk to your athletic administrator. And, you know, depending on your school, maybe your principals are involved. I don't know. But up here, it's usually your athletic administrator. And you need to make sure that they understand where you're coming from. Because to me, something that was difficult was if I stand in front of a group of parents and I set the expectation and then my athletic director who thinks he's helping goes and has a meeting with them, then he's just undermined everything that I've set up with that parent. Because even, even if nothing was accomplished from that, I promise you that parent thinks so. And, and then, you know, and then maybe they've talked to three other sets of parents right. and, and also being a parent, and having kids who played college athletics, I've been on the flip, on the parent side of that. I don't know if I get more frustrated about their coaching, like, and not X's and O's, but the other things, or as a parent of my child. I struggle with both of those. So I've been on the other side of it. And, and I feel like, again, it, the only way to get experience is to do it. But I think it really helped me have the perspective of seeing the where the parents are coming from. Because Shane talked about that. They love their kid. Right. We all want what's best. Right. And you're not going to love them as much as they do. But um, but I think if you set those expectations and then you treat them, you know, fairly, it, it's going it to make difference. everything positive. Yes. It makes a big difference. It really does. And I think that's something that is admirable. And I hope a lot of young coaches will realize that. Um, just, to, you know, this is it's about the experience with them. Um, all right, so hey, let me add before we, I'll throw oh, one go more right thing. Ahead, go right ahead. I stole this from somebody, uh, Kevin Walsh, I think, from Viani. But I don't, I don't think you have to sit around and wait for parents to come in, and I don't think you have to go hang out with them and have a have a drink or something. But some of the years when I thought might be the most challenging, um, and and I think I think it was Kevin. He talked about meeting them on their own turf you would go to their house and have meetings with each of your families at their home. And obviously it would take a little bit of time, but I thought those were really rewarding, you know, uh, situations and helped set up a really positive year. 
Um, and at some point we would let them, you know, and their sons were there, That's but incredible. we would give them an opportunity to ask questions. And, and I just remember distinctly a mom saying, you know, last year, every time my son missed a shot, you took him out of the game and you don't do that to other kids. And the player said, Mom, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Well, that's the players know. <laughs> yes. The players know. But had we not had those conversations, but also we didn't do it at school, we didn't do it in my office, we did it at their house. And it took a little time, but in those challenging, you know, it those, it, it really, it was a positive. And, and that was something, again, that you I got from another coach. That's why I don't, I don't think you have closed door practices to parents. I said, you should tell them, you want to come in and watch? Come I got on. nothing to hide. But you know why they won't come? Because their kids don't want them there. Right. That's right. Yeah, it's a distraction. <laughs> exactly. But that, you know, they have to respect the fact that you're taking the time to come into their home. They have to. Uh, whether agree or disagree on any X's and O's or philosophy, they have to respect that. And I think that's And if you're young and single, you can get a meal on all those visits. <laughs> so that could be good, too. Yes. <laughs> that is great. That is great. All right. Well, we, we are wrapping up. Can you believe that it's uh, been an hour? Already? This was fun. Yes, incredible. It's been too long since I've got to talk about this I stuff. know. So, so do you think you. I could talk you into sticking around for one more segment and we'll play it the following week? Sounds good. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to take a, a – well, we're not taking a break. We're going to go into our post-game talk. And our post-game talk, sponsored by Story Construction, um, we will go into our post-game talk, and then hopefully we will see Coach Gunn and Coach Matson next week as well. Our post-game talk, sponsored by Story Construction. Go to story, S-T-O-R-E-E, dot com for more information. They will provide high-quality industrial and commercial construction, and they are family-owned and operated. Check them out at story.com. Hey, don't forget you can go to the website at coachesperspective.com for show lineups, listen to previous shows, and more information. Subscribe. You'll be added into a drawing. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. For our post-game talk, my guest tonight gave all kinds of great information and great advice. This is, you know, a lot of information that young coaches can listen to, and I hope that they are able to soak some of the knowledge in from these veteran coaches. One of the challenges I want to give you is you heard a theme throughout. Communication is so important. Effort is so important. When asked about the intangibles of what the best player is, it was about hustle. It was about effort. It was about playing hard. It was about being coachable. Those are the intangibles that you have control over. So I want you to embrace those. I want you to embrace those as much as you can in each and everything that you do. Realize how important that effort is. That's how champions do it. And I'm going to remind you as I do each and every week, be a good human and live your life like a champion. Live like a human champion. This is Jenny Hopkins, and this has been A Coach's Perspective. <laughs>